Over the past several weeks, we've been working through Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. The book of Colossians was written by, most scholars believe, the Apostle Paul while he was in prison in Ephesus. Now, this is a church, as I've said, that the Apostle Paul has probably never actually met, that he's only heard about them from a man named Epaphras. And many scholars believe that Epaphras may have been in prison with the Apostle Paul, and he's been sharing with Paul about this church plant that Epaphras shared the gospel to. And so Paul writes this letter to the church in Colossae to encourage them to help them to mature in Christ and to move forward in Christ so that they understand the gospel the way that it is uh, supposed to be preached, essentially. You see, in this time, uh, during the early Christian church, there was a lot of false doctrines, a lot of teaching that was happening out there that wasn't in Christ. There was a lot of uh, Jewish uh, believers who were teaching that the Gentiles needed to become Jewish before they could become Christian. And Paul was constantly having to combat all of these different challenges. And so we have this letter to the church in Colossians. And Paul opens by saying, I'm writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. And then as we've already looked at, he opens with his traditional, uh, we always pray for you and we're giving thanks for you to God, the Father, uh, our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, for we've heard in verse 4, of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And so Paul is very encouraged by what he's heard about this church in Colossae. And, and he says that they've heard the same good news that, that, that has been going across the world, that's been bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed their lives from the day that they first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. And see, to the Apostle Paul, when you hear the gospel and you respond to the gospel, he says that's understanding the truth about God's wonderful grace. And the reason Paul says that is because the grace that we receive in Christ through Jesus's death and his resurrection is a grace that none of us can earn and that none of us deserve. And so it's a, a wonderful grace to understand, a wonderful grace to receive. And then Paul goes on to pray a very powerful prayer, asking God to give them two main things. There's three, but two main things. Complete knowledge of his will and spiritual wisdom and understanding. And he says the result of those things is that you will then live a life worthy of Christ. You'll live a life that produces good fruit. And all the while you'll grow and you'll learn to know God better and better. And so if you can seek his, the knowledge of his will and spiritual wisdom and understanding that can only be received in Christ and through Christ, then your life will begin to line up with Christ. And he also prays that they'd be strengthened with all his glorious power so they'd have all the endurance and patience that they need. The Apostle Paul knows, I mean, he's sitting in prison. 
He knows that we need patience and that we need endurance in order to be able to live the calling that we've received in Christ. He says, maybe you'll be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. Like a, a powerful prayer that he gives us, launching into his introduction of this letter to this church. And then he moves into talking about his Christology, his understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus accomplished on the cross, that Christ is the image of the invisible God, that, that you're seeing God in the flesh when you meet Jesus. When you see Jesus, that's God. And so we seek after uh, knowing God better and better through knowing Christ. And Paul goes on and says that Jesus was actually there in the beginning, that, that all things were, were created through him and for him in the heavenly realms and here on earth. Everything, he says in verse 16, was created through him and for him. And he says Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. So Christ is the head and we are the body parts, his church. And he is supreme over all of these things. He says, you have to continue to believe that truth. Continue to believe that Jesus is the centerpiece of it all. That he's the head of the church. That all things were created in him, through him, and for him. And we're to stand firmly in that truth. He says, don't drift away from the assurance that you received when you heard the good news. One of the challenges that often happens with people who believe and who are struggling to grow in their maturity in Christ, is that they begin to doubt themselves. And the Apostle Paul doesn't want us as Christians to doubt ourselves. He wants us to have assurance of our salvation. And he says that we've been given uh, pieces from Jesus, namely the Holy Spirit, that gives us that assurance that he will do exactly what he said he would do. In our passage today, starting at verse 24, we have an amazing section from, some, from chapter 1, verse 24, all the way down to chapter 2, verse 5. Uh, we have a really beautiful explanation of Paul explaining his work in the church, his role in the church, why he does what he does. And so I want to spend uh, the next little while with you just unpacking this passage verse by verse as we walk through it. In verse 24, he says, I'm glad when I suffer for you in my body. Now, that word body there is the, word, the Greek word sarx, S-A-R-X, sarx. And that is literally physical, a physical body. So he's saying, I'm glad when I suffer for you in my physical body. Now, this makes sense. Paul's in prison and prison at that time it was it was very normal to be beaten and to be abused and to not be fed uh, and so Paul is suffering literally physically in his sarks in his physical body and he says for I'm participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body the church now, the word body there in our English translations is actually a different word. That He didn't use the word sarx for physical body. He used the word soma in the Greek text, which is a metaphorical body. 
So Paul is suffering in his physical body in order to participate in the sufferings of his metaphorical body, the church. Jesus' metaphorical body, the church. Now, it's interesting here too, because if you understand uh, Jewish tradition, what Paul is actually saying here is really important. He says that I'm glad when I'm suffering for you in my body. Why would Paul be glad that he's suffering for them? The Jews believed that there was a period after the Messiah would come that was called the, the, the messianic time of suffering, a, a time where they would suffer essentially as believers in the Messiah and that that suffering, when a certain amount of suffering had happened, then the Messiah would return again for the resurrection, the resurrection of the dead. And so what Paul is saying here is, I'm glad when I suffer because I'm participating in the sufferings of Christ. He doesn't mean like Christ on the cross. He means participating in this messianic suffering, this post-messianic suffering that needs to happen. And so what Paul is essentially saying is, I'm hoping that my suffering that's happening right now is plenty enough for Jesus to come back. And so he wants his church to not have to suffer. He's hoping that his suffering on behalf of the church will be enough for Jesus to come back again. Because he says here in the next uh, verse, verse 25, he said, because God has given me the responsibility of serving his church. Now, Paul takes this responsibility very serious. God's given him the responsibility of serving his church, the church, not just one church, not just the church in Colossae, but the churches that Paul's been planting, the universal church, all churches. He feels that God has given him the responsibility of serving this church through his suffering and also by proclaiming the entire message to you. Now, that's another interesting statement that Paul says that is actually really theologically important. God's given me the responsibility of serving his church by suffering and by proclaiming his entire message to you. You see, the Old Testament is not the entire message. And when Paul is writing this, that's all they have. And so Paul proclaiming the gospel is what completes the message. And so they're not just getting the old, they're getting the new. And Paul feels responsible to proclaim that newness, to proclaim that in Christness that they need to hear so that they understand the entire message, not just pieces of the message. And he says this message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it's been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. So he's saying, you know, this message that I have am responsible for sharing, for, for proclaiming to you, this message, it's also not just for the Jew, but it's also for you Gentiles. And, and this is very important because he's saying that you Gentiles, which is actually us unless you're a Jew, uh, you Gentiles, this message 
uh, of reconciliation, this message of the grace that we've received on the cross of Christ, this entire message that Paul is sharing, it's not just for the Jew, it's actually for the Gentile too. Now, he's going to tell us what he means by the word secret, right? He just told us that this message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it's been revealed to God's people. And so he's saying the Gentiles are now part of God's people, but he said God wanted them to know the riches and the glory of Christ. He wants you to know and experience Jesus. And he says, this is the secret. You ready for this? This is the secret of the gospel. This is the secret of the cross. This is the thing that has been kept secret for centuries and it's been released to us in Christ, through Christ, for Christ, and for us. It's this, that Christ lives in you. That Christ lives in you. He says this gives you assurance of sharing his glory. This is super important because in the old message, in the Old Testament, in what the Jews believed, God wasn't in us. God floated in a, in a cloud above us. We were removed from God. We were, we were away from his presence. His presence was in a tabernacle. His presence was in a cloud. His presence could be near, but his presence was not in. And so this is a transition point that the, that the New Testament makes and that Paul is, is saying this is actually the secret that's been revealed. Jesus now, through the power and presence of his Holy Spirit, Jesus now actually lives in you. When you believe, the Holy Spirit enters your heart and he now lives in you. And this is what gives you the assurance. This is how you know that you're sharing in his glory, that you're part of his body, that he is our head because he lives in us. The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament would come upon people and would empower people for, for works that God wanted them to do, but the Holy Spirit would always leave. And Paul is saying, now the Holy Spirit is here living in you and he's staying in you and he's empowering you and encouraging you and giving you the assurance you need that you can be in the presence of Jesus Christ always. He says, so we tell others about Christ. Of course we do. We're compelled to tell others about Christ because Christ lives in us and Christ wants the world to know the message. And so when the Holy Spirit lives in you, you can't help but want to just tell the world about Christ. But Paul says a little more than that. He says, so we tell others about Christ. Of course, we announce the good news, but we also warn everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom God has given us. And so there's a wise way to share Christ, to warn about the false teachings, to, to warn about, about uh, um, what it is that Jesus taught us and what he warned us about and what he encourages us about. But he says we also then need to teach everyone with this wisdom that only this spirit living in us from God can give us. Now, I actually think that's a really important point that Paul's making here. It isn't just simply our passion of wanting to share Christ with others that matters. 
It's the passion that's put into us through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit to share Christ, but it's also the wisdom that God has given us on how to share Christ. You see, I think that really matters, and I think that that's a disconnect that we have in the church today. Some get so passionate about sharing Christ that they don't use the wisdom that Christ has given us. And some purely want to use wisdom, but don't want to use the power of the Holy Spirit in us to share Christ. And I think God wants a mixture of the two. He wants us to tell others about Christ. He wants us to warn others about the, the, what's happening in Christ and what can happen if you're not in Christ. But he wants us to teach everyone these things with wisdom. And it's not human wisdom. It's the wisdom that only God has given us. And this is why Paul says it this way. He says we want to present them to God perfect. Think about that. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. Perfect. To us, the word perfect means like without mistake. It means something was done perfectly. And so when you first read that, especially in the New Living Translation, saying we want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ, we're like, this couldn't be possible to actually be perfect. Well, the Apostle Paul would say, yes, you can be. Because the, this word perfect, teleos in the Greek text, actually means to be morally obedient to God. So when you're learning and growing and maturing, and so that word perfect could actually also be interpreted as mature. So we want to present them to God mature in their relationship to Christ. So he, moral and obedient, moral obedience is something that we grow in as we grow in Christ, as we go through difficult trials and testings. And, and the, the, the Apostle James would talk about these types of, of testings and trials that we should see them as a privilege to go through because they're what help us grow in Christ. That's what Paul's talking about. And Paul actually believes because of this spirit living in us, because of the secret that's been revealed to us, Christ living in you, that this perfection can actually be achieved through Christ and in Christ because the perfection means obedience to God, that we can actually live an obedient life to Jesus Christ because Christ lives in us. And Paul says, that's why, so he's explaining a lot of his motivation. He's explaining why he does what he does here. That's why I work and struggle so hard. I work and, and struggle so hard depending on Christ's mighty power that works in me. Paul's passion for the church is like no other. Paul loves the church. Paul works obediently to grow in his faith. He works obedient in Christ so that he can, can um, affect the church and the work of the church to help them to become mature 
in their faith. We talked about that a few weeks ago, that we, we don't just stay looking at the you are here moment, but we actually have to begin when we find the you are here and to move into the destination. And that the destination is the mark, the being like Christ. And so we're to mature in Christ. And that is Paul's passion. And he struggles hard for this passion. He, but his struggles that he works hard in, they actually depend on Christ's mighty power that works within him, not his own abilities, not his own power, not his authority. None of those things are credited to him. He says, I work and struggle so hard as I depend on Christ's mighty power that works within me. Jesus gives me the strength to do what I do. And then we'll see in our text that he moves into chapter 2. And this is actually a bit of a shame that we have these different sections in Scripture. In the Greek text, this doesn't actually exist. Because Paul's not actually done his thought here. And we know that because in the Greek text, there's some key connecting words that connect chapter 1, verses 24 to 29, into chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. And so we're going to keep going because he hasn't stopped his thought, even though your Bible may have uh, required you to stop it because it puts a great big two there. So he says, I, I work and struggle so hard depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who have never met me personally. Paul says, the work that I'm doing by Christ's mighty power within me, I'm doing it because I want so much I agonize so much for you to grow in Christ and to mature in Christ because a lot of you have never actually met me personally. And so I want you to know that I agonize for you, that I pray for you, that I think about you, that I lift you up to Christ each and every day. We know this because in verse 2, he says, I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. That's Paul's passion for the church. He wants us all to be encouraged, not discouraged, because we're in Christ, because we have the Holy Spirit living in us, and that Holy Spirit is our assurance of sharing in his glory. And so he wants us to be encouraged, but not just encouraged, also knit together. This unity that Paul would talk about in, say, the book of Ephesians, this unity in Christ, which doesn't mean always agreeing. We know that in this day and age, that we don't always agree. But we can disagree, but still be knit together by strong ties of love. And that's the key phrase there. Being knit together by strong ties of love, encouraged by the gospel message of Jesus Christ, the Spirit living in us. He says, I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. He wants us to be confident. He wants us to, to know that we are in Christ, that we've been marked by the power and presence of his spirit, that we can mature in our faith and we can grow in, in our morality and our obedience to God. And he wants us to have a complete, confident understanding of who Christ is. 
because the mysterious plan that God has given us is Christ himself. We don't understand it all. We'll never really fully understand it, but it's being offered to us freely by his glorious grace. He says, in him lie hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In him, he means Christ. And he says that in Christ, all the treasures of wisdom, all the treasures of knowledge lie in us knowing Jesus Christ. You see, we can seek wisdom and we can seek knowledge by studying We can seek wisdom and we can seek knowledge by going to school. We can seek wisdom and knowledge by learning life experiences. But he says when all of that is done outside of Christ, you haven't actually tapped into the mysterious plan that God has for us in Christ. That if you want to find true wisdom, if you want to find true knowledge, you have to find Jesus. And Jesus has to be the center of of who you are. He has to be your supremacy, your number one. He is the one who will bring you all knowledge and all wisdom. We can't rely on human wisdom. That's what Paul's saying. We can't rely on on our understanding of things and our ability, but yet we've been given the power and presence of the Holy Spirit to empower us to know and understand the wisdom and knowledge of Jesus. You see, that's important to Paul. This is completely attainable here on earth because we have Christ in us. The mystery has been revealed. And he says, I'm telling you this in verse four. So no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. Remember I said that there's a lot of different arguments happening at this time in the early church. There was more people saying, teaching all kinds of crazy things at this time. You got to remember, they were actually quite uh, pagan in nature, which they believed in many gods. There was a lot of spirituality, really not a whole lot different than it actually would be today. We believe in the God of money. We worship idols of things like money and power and fame and, and all of these kinds of things. That's just our version of exactly what they would have had back in the first century. And so Paul keeps reminding us of our assurance in Christ because the Spirit lives in us. We've been given this secret, this knowledge of grace that Jesus Christ lives in us, that his, his presence is with us always because of his work on the cross. Don't listen to all those well-crafted arguments. Just get to know Jesus. Put him at the center of your life and you'll receive the wisdom and knowledge that you need to share your faith with others, and to live your faith in obedience to God. He says, for though I am far away from you, my heart is with you, and I rejoice that you are living as you should, and that your faith in Christ is strong. This is the message that Paul's heard. Their faith is strong that this church in Colossae is living that assurance. And he's encouraging them to know where you came from, to know that Christ died for them and that Christ lives in them. 
and to rest in that assurance, but to share their faith as they live their faith in deep obedience and as they mature in Christ. Folks, I can't help but as I study through the book of Colossians to reflect on where our world is today. Folks, as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. We have every bit of assurance that Paul is talking about in this passage. And and the fact that he he says that he wants us to do all things in love, to to be knit together and to have strong ties of love, this is the piece that concerns me pastorally today. I fear, folks, that the church today has lost its its togetherness, has lost its unity, that we're not knitted together by strong ties of love. Instead, we're separated by, because of our human knowledge, our human opinions. And then we're not tapping into the power and presence of the Holy Spirit living in us, who is the one that knits and ties us together. And so just like Paul is doing with this church in Colossians, pleading with them to understand this assurance, to live in this obedience, and to be knitted together in love, I plead with you this morning. Lay aside your opinions. Lay aside what you think you know. And just rest in maturing in Christ because the secret has been revealed to you that he is in you and that he's guiding you and giving you knowledge and wisdom to be knit together in love. So put aside your opinions. I know we've got lots of them out there right now. Center your life in Jesus, not in the the news or the internet or the debates around what's happening in our world today. None of that, folks, is actually relevant when you're tapping into the Holy Spirit living in you and you're knitting together by love with one another and are sharing our faith through obedience in Christ. That is what matters in our world today more than it has ever mattered for any of us before. We need to show the world Jesus Christ, not show the world what we think we know, but we need to show the world Christ in us by unifying together, by praying with one another, by lifting him up and by being a light in a dark, broken world that's functioning off of human wisdom instead of the spiritual wisdom and knowledge that the Holy Spirit can give you and I. So church, I'm pleading with you. Live your life in Christ, knitted together in moral obedience to Christ. Love one another. Encourage one another. And let's show the world that we are distinctly different than everyone else because Jesus lives in us. And then invite them to receive the same grace that we have received that we don't deserve, that we didn't earn. I'm pleading, church, 
We need to start to center our lives in Jesus, not all the stuff around us. As we go today, I want to challenge you to reflect on what it is that Paul taught us, that this letter that he's writing to this church, how does it apply to us today? What does being knit together in love look like in your life? And how can you project that light onto others in this difficult time in our world today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the glorious grace that you have given us in Christ. We thank you for the, for the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit living in us and the assurance that we receive through your Spirit. Lord, thank you for offering grace to someone like me who really doesn't deserve it, who could never really earn it. And I pray, Lord, that you would shape me and mold me into your son, Jesus Christ, that, that I would be knit together in love with even those I disagree with. And thank you, Lord, for your grace, for your love, and for your encouragement. In Jesus' name.